0: What happened in Thessalonica, part five. If you've got notes in-house, they look like this. Or you should, be, uh, you should have them if you, were, if you came into one of our locations. If not, you can go to waterschurch.guide. It looks like that. And then if you click on today's message, it will look like that. And then you can fill in the blanks that way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 but we're in a series of messages through this book, this short little letter from the Apostle Paul to a church in Thessalonica in the ancient world where Paul went in Acts chapter 17, talks about this, he goes there for three weeks, preaches Jesus, a church is born and today that church is still alive and well, 2,000 years later because that's the power of the gospel of Jesus. Can I get a good amen right there? We're gonna stand for the reading of God's word if you don't mind, reading chapter four, of 1 Thessalonians, verse one. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to live and to please God just as you are doing, that you do it more and more. Can somebody say more and more? More more. Now that is a theme for this passage you're gonna see in just a moment. Uh, It says this, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warns you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness, therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man—not I mean, man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Now, concerning brotherly love, we have no need to write to you, for you are already doing this. He says, "You have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia." But we urge you, brothers, to do this. And there's those three words again. What are they? More and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is God's word. Amen? Amen. Let's ask God to bless us in the time that we have together around it. Father, speak to your servants, speak to your people, speak through me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Your will be done. Your kingdom come here on this earth as it is in heaven and may we see Jesus. Him and him only in his mighty name we pray. And everybody said a big? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat at all locations. I want to talk to you on the topic of the third most important thing in life. The third most important thing in life. There are Three things I believe that are the most important. Now now this is a interesting title to be honest because nobody gets really excited when somebody starts talking about the third most important thing. You know in sales or in marketing it's always what? The most important thing, number one on the list. Don't miss, if you miss anything guys don't miss this. Okay well I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about the third most important thing. But I was thinking about the Bible and the scriptures and, and here's the deal. Three is a big do- deal in the scriptures. I don't know if you realize this, but uh, it is a huge deal. Uh, God is one God, but in three persons, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus rose again on day three, third day he was raised to, to life again. And I thought about Jesus had three inner disciples Peter, James, and John, and then I think about there's three ages, there's the Old Testament, the New Covenant age, and then there's gonna be the heavenly age to come, right? Three is a big deal. So maybe I'm onto something here, but I wanna talk to you about that third most important thing. I want you to write down what the most important things are just so you know in the order of events what they are. And I believe Paul talks about that here in 1 Thessalonians 4. The first thing I think we can all agree is this, a relationship with God, write that down. The first and most important thing in your life is a relationship with God. To know him, to have a a walking, talking, living, breathing relationship with your father who made you is most important. John chapter 17 verse three, it says this, that this is eternal life that they may know you. The word know in Greek is a euphemism for relationship. It's actually a euphemism for a husband and wife coming together in sexuality, but the the reality of that word is, is an intimacy of relationship. And that's what God wants for you. He wants to know you intimately. He wants you to know him intimately. And knowing God gets you through every situation of your life. It causes the Lord to bless your life, strengthen your life, empower your life, and propel your life forward because you know that you're not doing life in your own strength, you're doing your life in the strength that God provides. Amen, somebody. But what's that second most important thing? Anybody wanna think about what that might be? Second most important thing? Here it is, a relationship with people who love God, a, a relationship with people who have a relationship with God. So right here it should be obvious that these are the first, and, first two and greatest commandments in scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as, you, as yourself. So right here we have the first and, and second greatest commandment. So we love God, a relationship with him, and we have a relationship with people who have a relationship with God. There's a moment in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 12, it's also in Mark 3, where Mary and Jesus' brothers come to find him. They come to take him captive because they think he's going a little bit too far. And they come and tell Jesus, they say, your mother and your brothers are here and they want to talk to you. And Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. He says, who's my mother and my brother and my sister? He looks at those who are around him and he says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my mother and my brother and my sister and and that's my family. And this is how I feel about the church. This is how I feel about you guys this is how I feel about Waters Church. I've been raised in this church professionally and in, 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 in my adult life. And this, is, this church has given me my wife and, and my wife and I have had children in this church blessed and dedicated. They're serving in this church and your f- friends are here in this church. My friends are in this church, part of this church. There is no greater blessing in life, in my opinion, other than a relationship with God than a church that you can call family. Amen, somebody? Amen. Family in the church and I think about this too is that sometimes family in the church can feel closer than family at home. It just it's just a reality. Sometimes, you know, biological family kind of go different ways, but family in the church, Jesus keeps us on the same road, going the same direction, changing us into the same image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so so it's kind of important to have that relationship. Number 1, relationship with God. Number 2, relationship with people who have a relationship with God. But here's Here's number three, and I thought, what would it be? Like, if you were thinking about it, what's that number three thing? Well, they already put it up on the screen, so let me tell you what it is. <laughs> I was gonna build some more tension, but they got ahead of me, all right? They're like, move on, pastor. Okay, a growing relationship with God and God's people. This is the, most, the third most important thing. You know the Lord, you're saved, but, but here's the biggest here's the biggest deal. Are you growing? Are you getting stronger in the Lord? Are you looking back at your life and saying, man, I'm so thankful I don't struggle with those things anymore. I'm so thankful that the Lord has moved me on in life. A growing relationship with God is, I'm arguing, the third most important thing in life. And here's why you need a growing relationship with God. Here's why you need it, all right? The world is always trying to pull you back. Amen, somebody? Anybody ever feel that pull of the world on their lives? And you know, you know how to, you're, you're trying to walk with the Lord and you try to keep going forward, but if you're all honest, it feels like there's just somebody tugging on your back right here, just pulling you backwards toward those old wicked ways, those old useless lifestyles, amen? And it's a struggle and it's, it's, the scripture calls this the battle with the flesh. That we do business not just with, um, with the world. We don't just do business with God. We do business with ourselves. How, how, many, how many can say that about your own life? Like, you don't realize what's going on in here sometimes. Paul the apostle was like that. He said in Romans chapter seven, he says, I don't understand the things that I do. I wanna do good, but evil is right there with me. How many can resonate with that? He says, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. And he says, I, I hear, here's the reality. There's a body of death that's attached to me. There's an old fleshly spirit. And the world will always try to suck you back. Because sometimes it's like this in the Christian faith, and I feel it, and I know you feel it. You come to Sunday, and we gather in the church, and we worship God, and then the word goes out, and we feel, man, we are on cloud nine. We are ready to take our world for Jesus. You leave church, and hopefully, hopefully for some of you, you leave church, you're like, I am ready to win this week in Jesus' name. Woo, Sunday afternoon. But then Tuesday comes, amen. And by Tuesday, you're like, I hate life. I don't even know if I believe anymore. You know what I'm talking about? That, that's reality. That is how it is. And so the question has to be, am I I growing? And, And how do I grow in life? And this is what Paul is talking about here in chapter four. Let's put verse one and two back up on the screen here because this is important. He says, finally then. Now if you got your paper notes, everybody take out your paper notes. Circle the word finally because the word finally doesn't mean I'm done. Um, actually, it could mean henceforth. It could mean now what in this passage because you'll see that Paul has a lot more to say. He has a lot more to write in First Thessalonians. and my Bible, is like two more pages, two more chapters. So he's not by any means done. And he's gonna talk about some really significant things going forward. But this moment in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1 is that moment where Paul turns the page from talking about what God has done for us, he turns the page to now here's how you gotta live. And he does this all the time. He does this in, in, in Romans chapter 12. He, he does this in Ephesians chapter four. He does this in Colossians chapter three. And so right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, he says, okay, this is who you are in God, chosen, dearly loved, sanctified, set apart for his purposes. And now here's what you're going to do. And notice what he says. He says, we ask And we urge you, like this is important. I'm not just asking, I'm urging you. And then he says, this is what you're gonna do. This is how you're gonna walk. And he goes, this is how you ought, underline ought, because the word ought here is better translated must. This is how you must live as a Christian. These are not, these are not for debate. This is how Christians live. And then he acknowledges, now you're doing this. You are growing, you are becoming these people, but we're asking you to do it what? More and more. We wanna see growth in you. Hey, Waters Church, I I don't know who I'm talking to at all of our locations, but listen to me. Wherever you are in God, can I tell you, there's somewhere else to go. There's a further place in your faith to go. It's part of what I like about the Christian movement, by the way, it's what I like about being a Christian. There's always something that the Lord wants to do in your life that he hasn't yet done. There's always another level of glory to be experienced in the presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not ever gonna be the case for you. Don't ever listen to anybody tells you this. No matter where you get to in your Christian life, you are still not done. God is still making you someone he is going to empower and strengthen for life. There's always another level in Jesus' name. So, how does that look? What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. Write it down, write it down. Christian living is growing to be more like Christ. God wants to be more like Jesus. That's really the aim. So, this blows away the idea that this world loves to sell our young people that you're perfect. Uh, you are not perfect. And you are not perfect just the way you are. I mean, contrary to what literally every pop singer sings to our kids, you stink, okay? I'm just telling you, you're you're not who you should be. Can I get a good amen from somebody in the house this morning? All right, good, we got some honest people in the house. Because you're looking at a guy who still needs work, amen? I still need to grow. Pastor, you know what's wrong with you? Yes, I do, I know what's wrong with me. I am intimately familiar with that. The Lord is changing me. And so we're not done, we're not right, we're not exactly where we should be. I always say this, the church is not a museum of finished product, the church is a hospital for wounded saints or unsaint people that need to become saints. So we're growing, we're becoming more like Christ. Paul in this passage talks about holiness. He talks about holiness in, that, in, in uh, chapter three, just in your Bibles. Now, this is not on the screen, so we're gonna have to do some exercise with our Bibles today. Just back up in, verse, in chapter three of 1 Thessalonians, because what does he say in verse 13 of that same book? He says, he's gonna establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Somebody say, in holiness. In holiness. Now, what he means by that is that God has given you an identifier of holiness. You are holy to God. You might not feel holy all the time, and we're gonna talk about why that is in a moment, but if you're a Christian, part of your identity now, part of who you are, is holy. What does holy mean? Some of you think holy is just, I gotta be morally perfect. (laughs) That's not the case, and that's not what it's about. Holiness means, um, set apart. The word in Latin is sanctus, sanctified, we get this, uh, this word from. And, and, and so the word holiness means that this you or some object is set apart. In the Old Testament, this is interesting, um, the seventh day of creation was set apart as holy. That was a separate day. In the Old Testament uh, description of the temple, It says that there were utensils and there were uh, tongs and there were bowls and there were altars that were set apart as holy. There were garments on the priest's clothes that they would wear that were holy. And so holiness is about your situational position before God, that you as a Christian, listen very carefully, are set apart for God's purposes. Do you believe that? Like, yeah, think about that. Some of you might not believe that yet, but you've gotta believe it. I always like to tell this illustration because it kind of just, you know, makes it clear. When I was growing up in my mother's house, there was a dining room in my parents' house. In my parents' house, there was a dining room and next to the dining room table, there was a chest. There was a, a set of shelves, very nice, ornate shelves. And on the shelves were plates. Plates with like little gold trim around the rim. Those plates were holy plates. Yeah, you understand what I'm talking about here? You know what days we would use those plates? Anybody wanna guess? <laughs> no, not never. <laughs> Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. The whole, I remember Thanksgiving morning, it was like, Dun, da, da, the holy plates are coming off the shelf and we're going to use them finally. You know, those plates lasted for 40 years. That's what happens when you use plates three times a year. Amen, somebody. And my mom would take them down and they would put them on the on the table and we would eat off the holy place. Listen, if I wanted lucky charms any other day of the year, there was no way in my mind I was going to touch the holy place. Those were untouchable for lucky charms eating. Amen somebody. <laughs> Let me tell you about you. You are holy. You are set apart. You're on the shelf. God is gonna use you for holy purposes. Now, no, no, now there's a big difference here, and this is where my illustration falls apart. He doesn't bring you out three times a year. Amen, somebody. He wants to use you every day. But you're different, you're set apart, you're holy to God. He's not gonna put, listen, this is so important, he's not gonna put his holy vessels in ordinary places. You are sanctified, you are set apart. Now, there is a second half to the idea of holiness in the scriptures. And that is that though we are identified as holy, we have to grow in holiness. We have to grow in our knowledge that God has made us those people, that he has made us set apart for his purposes. And that, my friends, is what growing to be more like Christ is about. So let's take a look, we got four points as what this looks, in this passage, as to what that looks like. Number one, write this down. What does growing in Christ look like? It means growing in holiness. Growing in that sense of I'm set apart. When you go to the job tomorrow or tonight, whenever it is, you're making that place holy. Some of you may not even realize this, but it's true. When you walk into that office, the Holy Spirit walks in with you. When you walk into that home this afternoon, the Holy Spirit walks with you. Some of you are like, well, I'm not really living up to what the Holy Spirit expects. Well, this is why we're talking about this today, so that you can grow into that, because you can. Please don't tell me that you can't, because the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can't in your own strength, but God can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what he says in verse verse three. He says, this is the will of God. Now, just look at those lines. This is the will of God. (laughs) Books have been written. Blogs have been posted. Videos have been made about finding the will of God for my life. What's the will of God? What does God want me to do? Okay, it's not rocket science. I think that sometimes we think the will of God is this very narrow path that we have to walk exactly, and if we screw up in the least bit, we're completely blown it, and the will of God is ruined for our life. That's not, that's not scriptural. I just wanna let you know, that's not scriptural. Um, because that's gonna put a burden on your heart that you're not gonna be able to carry. Like, if, let's be honest, most of you wouldn't have made it through high school living according to that law. You screwed up so many times in high school, you can't remember, right? So the will of God is not like this precise, exact path. Some people, like, they, they think about, what job should I take? And they have, like, three offers. What job? I don't know. What's the will of God? Now, I, I, I do believe that God can specifically direct you at times, but most times it's, which one do you want? You got three offers. Take the one you want. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's. we don't have to overcomplicate what scripture doesn't overcomplicate because we'll put ourselves in the weeds of trying to work everything out according to the specific little you know ideation of what god wants for our lives that's not it what god wants this is the will of god for you sanctification holiness growing into a more understand a greater understanding that you're not just an average person you're you're mighty in god you're strong in the lord you've got god with you my Bible tells me if God is for us, who can be against us? My Bible tells me greater is he that is in me than what? He that is in the world. My, God, my Bible tells me that I'm the head and not the tail. My, God, my Bible tells me that, that I'm a child of the most high God, that I'm a royal priest, that I'm a chosen generation, part of a holy nation. I'm not ordinary, I'm extraordinary in Jesus Christ. Now, you don't always feel that way. <laughs> and I don't always feel that way but that's what growing in holiness is about so how do we get there how do we, what does that look like to, to get to that place where I feel like man God is working through me and, and using me okay there's three areas that holiness is going to touch on in this passage those three areas are your sex life your relationship life and your work life your sex life your relationship life and your work life and this is where the message is going to start pinching are you ready I don't care if you're ready let's go number two Growing in Christ means growing in purity. Pursuing purity. Sorry, that's what the the point is. Pursuing purity. And and holiness in Christ demands this. And this is what Paul unpacks for the Thessalonians. Look at what he says in verse three, the last half of verse three. That you abstain from sexual morality. Now the word abstain, very interesting word because it's the word that we get abstinence from. I wonder who here could tell me you're younger, you're younger than me and, and the word abstinence is almost like a byword. It's almost like a, oh, abstinence, how ludicrous. What a, what a crazy thought. I mean, if you watch the Average Friends episode, they'll tell you the same thing. Who stays away from sex? Sex is just partly, it's just an appetite. We just gotta feed it. No matter what it is, just feed it. And, and now consequently, we have a crazy world with depressed kids and broken families, and messed up relationships, and hurt hearts, and burdens that are unbearable in people's lives because they messed with sex the wrong way. So he's like, look, I'm trying to help you here. You gotta abstain, you gotta stay away from sexual morality. The the word sexual morality here is pornea in the Greek. It's where we get pornography from? because this, uh, the word pornea is the beginning of that word, and then "grafe" is the writing, writing sexual, sexual writing. So that is what he's talking about in some ways here, but he's also talking about adultery. He's absolutely referencing any kind of sexual activity outside of the bond of marriage between a man and a woman. Now this is completely bigoted speech in our country. But there is only one acceptable venue for sex in Scripture, and that is a man and a woman in the context of marital commitment for life. That's what God has prescribed. And I know that our world is so desperate, oh, so desperate to throw off that old-fashioned, morbid, weird lifestyle, and now we're having a. Crisis in our country—a crisis, a family crisis, an individual crisis, an identity crisis, a cultural crisis. Why? Because we played with fire and we got burned. That's where we are. I, I know that this is a narrow view, but you know something? Um, this is what this is what sex is. It's a fire. The scripture says, can a man take burning coals and toss them into his lap and not get burned? He's talking about adultery. Adultery will jack you up. Homosexuality will jack people up. Polyamory. I mean, we got, we've got more sexual identities than ethnic identities in this culture today. And, and it's become, and think about how far our country, our culture has deteriorated to the, fi- to the place where we're at, where every single part of you is centered on the sexual desire in you. This is, letting, this is letting the fire burn out of control. And you gotta watch out for this. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, I remember Kobe Bryant was going through his struggles there when he, I guess the accusation was that he raped the girl in Colorado while he was on the road with the Lakers. And I remember putting on the screen, I said, I put, a, I put a picture of him standing before the judge and there he is, Kobe Bryant, this all-star basketball player and he's just looking down he's just dejected and broken. And I said, guys, what's the mistake that he made? And they said, well, he, you know, he messed up with his family. He messed up, I said, the mistake that he made was that he played with fire. It all began there. If he doesn't do that, he doesn't mess up, he doesn't end up in the judge, in, before the judge. This is where sexual immorality will lead you, and it will destroy your purpose in God. Now, Jesus addressed not just the action, he addressed the mental, um, the mental action, the thinking. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he says, You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks lustfully at a woman, with intent in his heart to lust after her, has already committed adultery in his heart. In other words, this is not about what you do as much as it's first about what you think. So it's about this issue and it will wreck you Think about David, who was a mighty man, he beat Goliath, he beat the Philistines back, he conquered giants, he conquered kingdoms. But one night, just one night, he's strolling around on the rooftop of his house and he looks at a woman lustfully and he brings her into his house and he finds out she's married and he still has sex with her and then he covers up the, the, the fact that he got her pregnant. His, his, her husband was out on the battlefield fighting the wars of Israel and he puts the guy to death and takes her to be his wife and covers it up and he thinks he's made it and from that moment Forward, after he's confronted by Nathan, from that moment forward, his life slowly deteriorates and spirals out of control. Think about Samson, this mighty, powerful man. And this is an image that repeats in scripture on a regular basis. Mighty men become enslaved weaklings when they don't have this under control. Samson was a powerful man. He also was beaten back the Philistines, but he couldn't get a hold of lust. He, he went after a Philistine woman and then somebody stole her and so he burned down the house and then he goes after Delilah. Delilah was the second Philistine that he went after after the first one already wrecked his life. How many know it's, it's hard for some people to get out of this trap in sexual morality? And, 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 then, and then the story just gets more ludicrous as she, she says, what's the secret of your great strength? And every time he lies to her, She does. What he tells her is not the secret of his great strength. This woman is lying to his face. She's totally untrustworthy, but his lust had blinded him to healthy, strong living. And then she cut off his hair and the rest is history. This'll kill you. It'll wreck you. It'll tear you away from God's purposes in your life. And what we're seeing right now in our country is a, a world, and listen to me, young people especially, listen to me. Uh, the world is selling you on this idea that happiness is found in your pants. And it's just not true. It's just not true. I, even Christian young people, listen to me. I know, I know you're doing the right thing and you're saving yourself for marriage and God bless you, amen, we support that. That's exactly what you should do. But here's the reality, okay? All the married people can tell you this. Sex in your marriage can be wonderful, but it's very short. It's not that long. And after it's over, you still have to do the dishes. Amen, somebody? <laughs> like, you still have to go to work. You still have to clean the house. You still have to take the dogs for a walk. Our world, I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm trying to make sure that you realize our world makes it like this enormous, like, oh, it's everything. And it's really not. It's a small part of life. It's a small part of life. But it's a fire that could consume the entirety of your life. This is, what Jesus, this is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter one. Now, now here, just trigger warning, university students, um, this is gonna really upset you. <laughs> Romans chapter one, verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. In other words, they became idolaters. They started to worship created things rather than the creator. When you start to, and this is important, when you start to make things or people more important than God, and God comes and says, I'm first, I'm first, and you say, nope, you're not first, nope, you're not first, nope, I'm gonna do what I want, The reality is from this text is that at some point, God says, okay, have at it. He gave them up. Then it says this, verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Twice, it says, God gave them up. And if you're looking at the world that I'm looking at, you're thinking, okay, when does the madness stop? Because it's just spiraling, isn't it? Spiraling. I think that even non-Christians at some point are like, okay, enough is enough. Like, when does this stop? And the answer is, it doesn't stop. Unless God intervenes in our lives, it doesn't stop. The world's gonna deteriorate continually. And I think it's gonna get worse, I know it's gonna get worse because Jesus said that, it's gonna get worse the closer we get to the coming of Jesus. I I just share this with you, I I double checked it, made sure it was real, but this has happened this past week, this is America, this is where we're going. The Minnesota State Legislature was drafting a law to protect people from discrimination if they were homosexual, transgendered, and all the other thousands of ideologies and identities that are given to the world today. And the the law was written, and the Republicans from the legislature came and said, wait, we want to make sure that we specify that we're not referring to pedophilia. Every Every other identity is fine, but not pedophilia. And every Democrat in the state legislature, which far outnumbered the Republicans, said no, we're not going to include that language. We don't want to make the pedophiles feel bad. This is where it's going. And I know that some people will immediately right now start writing me off, but at some point, the world has gotta wake up to the reality that the lust of the flesh does not It's not a controlled burn, it's a consuming fire, and it will wipe out civilization as we know it. And here's what Jesus is telling the church right now. Run away from it, get out of it, walk away from it, have nothing to do with it, pursue holiness and the purposes of God in your life, and he will sustain you, strengthen you, and bless you. That's who we are. If you're not a believer, I understand you're angry. I understand you're never coming back. I understand you think I'm a bigot and I'm a transphobe and a helmophobe. I get it. I've been called that and a lot worse. But I'm here to tell you what the scriptures say. That's my responsibility. And I'm telling you, if you stick with this word, it will bless you. He says in verse six, let no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter for the Lord is an avenger of all these things. And then he says, make sure that you understand that uh, uh, we've warned you about this before. God has not called us to impurity, but holiness. And then verse eight, what does he say? He says, whoever rejects this doesn't reject men. They reject God. They reject the Holy Spirit. So you have every right to reject me, but you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the Holy Spirit of God. And this is one thing that I will always do to you, for you, and with you. I will tell you what this word says, even if the world hates it. Amen? Is that, is that all right with, with all of you? Because I know some of you are already getting pinched by this message, and that's good. Some of you are like, oh man, I, I know I'm failing in this area. Okay, here's what we're saying. Grow in holiness. Confess, repent, and turn, and walk. And you might stumble again. You might fall, you might mess up. This scripture says where, where sin abounds, grace abounds, much more, but pursue the holiness of God, pursue Jesus, and grow up in him, and it will save you and strengthen you in life. Okay, I gotta get to point number three, or we're never gonna get done. Number three, Christian growth looks like this, growing in love toward each other. So it's not, it's not just about what we avoid relationally, sexual morality, it's about what we embrace relationally, and that is love for the church, love for one another. Now, Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, look, you guys are doing this. Verse 9, he says, concerning brotherly love, you have no one to tell, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you have been taught by God. Underline the words taught by God. Because I believe that what Paul is saying here, and it resonates with the rest of Scripture, is that when you get saved, when you have the Holy Spirit in your life, He puts a love for the church in your heart. You know what I'm talking about here? He'll put a heart for other people in the church in your life. And this is why <laughs> saved people go to church. Saved people go to church. I, I, I do not understand the idea that you love God, but you have no time for the church. In fact, John the apostle writes this. He says, how can you say that you love God whom you have not seen and not love your brother whom you have seen? He's made in the image of God. Amen. It's part and parcel, they go together. Save people, you're, you're, you've got the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you something, you know who the Holy Spirit loves? God's people. The Holy Spirit loves God's people. There's no way that you cannot go to church week in, week out, not be a part of a church, not be engaged in a church week in, week out, and have a living relationship with God. There's no stinking way. He has put the Holy Spirit in you to love other people and he teaches you, that's why I asked you to underline, taught by God to love one another. Now love means forgive, love means spend time, love means share, love means give to each other, support each other, pray with each other. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes the best part of my week is coming to church on Sunday and seeing God's people. I have another best part of my week, my small group. When I get together in, short, in smaller relationship with the people in this church, it's one of the highlights of my week. I'll have a horrible day and I'll know my Monday night small group is coming and it just brings calm to my heart to know that I'm gonna be with God's people and we can pray together and serve each other and love each other. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. And he says this, you've been taught by God to love one another, that's what you're doing. And we urge you to do this, again, those words, more and more. Grow in this. Make it a priority. Fathers, mothers, household leaders, listen, make it a priority at at your family, that your your family is going to have a small group. You're going to be connected to other Christians, and the church comes first in your life. Isaiah chapter 54, 13, it says this, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. When God teaches us to love one another, he brings peace to our hearts. John 13, 35, Jesus said to the disciples, by this all men will know you're my disciples. How? If you love one another. People are not gonna know we're Christians because we're gifted, talented, and and, and beautiful. People are gonna know we're Christians because we share love for each other. That's where it's at. That's what Christian growth looks like. And by the way, that's how you grow as a Christian when you're in personal relationships with other people. Through my small groups that I've had over the, over the course of my years, I have been introduced to different Christian authors I never would have read. I've heard things that I never would have heard. I've grown in different areas that I never would have grown in because of the personal relationships that I've had with other Christians who were different than me. It's a blessing to your life. Number four, and finally, growing in Christ means working hard among unbelievers. So I said it before, I'll say it again. Your sex life is affected, your social life is affected, and your work life is affected. That's what holiness looks like. And and here's how Paul unpacks our work life, look at this. Uh, Verse 11, first he says, and, just circle and, because and ties what Paul is about to say to what he just said. Now what did he just talk about? What What was point number three? It was about loving the brothers, loving the church. So now verse 11, he's still in that thought as he addresses work and having a job. And so he says, and to aspire, to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. You love the church, hear this, when you're not always begging people to bail you out. When you actually have things that you have increased in your life so that you can share with the church. Welfare is the state's idea. It is not God's idea. It's work that blesses your life. It's minding your own affairs. Look at that word he says, live quietly. You know what that actually literally means? It doesn't mean just shut up and go to work. It means live simply. Your life does not have to be a noise fest about you. It doesn't have to be all about everything that you're doing and building everything up and telling everybody, look at my life, look at my life. No, 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 just live quietly and simply aspire that. Look for that because the people who need to shout the loudest about their life are probably the most insecure people on the planet. It's, it's not about how much you have, it's about how you have what you have. And so you can live quietly and be rich, you can. You can live quietly and be modestly, modestly increased. You can live quietly and be somewhat poor but you're just living quietly. It's not all about making noise with your life. And then he says, and look at this line, mind your own affairs. Oh, what a blessing that would be <laughs> if people would just do that. Amen, somebody. Too many Christians wanna be in everybody's business. Oh, they wanna be in everybody's business. They love those lines. They love, they love hearing, did you hear about? what, who, what, huh, what? Like immediately where people will say this. And this is a funny line, but ever think about this, we say this all the time. I probably shouldn't tell you this, <laughs> but, and we're like dogs waiting for a treat. We're like, <laughs> <laughs> next time somebody says, I probably shouldn't tell you this, here's what you say, then don't. Don't tell me this. <laughs> that's, that's probably your conscience or the Holy Spirit is telling you not to tell me this. I don't need to know everything. I don't want to know everything. I don't even, you know, if you go on any of my social medias, I don't even have access to those things. I don't want to know what's going on. There's like five people that run my social media for the church, just to build the church. I don't really care. That's all about that. I don't need to know where you went on vacation. I don't need to know that you were at the beach yesterday, down here, or, you know, bowling alley up north, wherever you were. I don't care. (laughs) And I don't care that you know where I am. In fact, sometimes I want to be hidden. I don't want to. The point is, is that life is simpler come on somebody when we just stay quiet. Some of you got so much drama in your life and you're praying to God for peace, but you are the author of your own stinking drama. You're the one doing it to you. And the Father is like, I'd love to answer the prayers, but you keep undoing what I'm doing. You keep meddling in everybody's affairs. Now, the Thessalonians had a problem. I don't know if it's your problem, I don't think as many people's problems today because it's 2,000 years later, but they thought Jesus was coming back any so they just gave up work. Now, we're 2,000 years later, so we don't believe that anymore. We still need a job, right? Uh, look at 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. He says, we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. <laughs> I love that line And then he says, now we command you We command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Do your work quietly, earn your own living Back to verse 11 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians He says, work with your hands Work with your hands uh, God gave you two hands and one mouth Do the math Hello It's getting quiet Maybe that's, you, just took my, <laughs> you just took my advice right there Okay You know, one of the things that's really struggling, really troubling our young people is depression and anxiety. And I think it's because obviously these things. You can build a virtual world out of pixels, but not really build anything. You can minecraft your way into mindlessness. Amen, somebody. When when I was growing up, I mean, I sound so old when I say this, but when I was young, we used to have things called Legos. And uh, we didn't get these fancy boxes that would make the Millennium Falcon. We would just get these ordinary average Legos and we would have to think with our brains about how to put it together and make something. I was like the happiest kid alive, just using my hands. You know what still makes me happy? Making something, doing something, creating something that I can look back and say that I, I built that, that was part of me, that came out of me. Where does that come from? It comes from our father. What does he say in, the, in, in, in Genesis chapter 1? It says God created, and he looked back on all that he created, and several times it said, he said, it's good. Ooh, it's good. It's good. And then he makes man and the guard, he says, ooh, it's very good. What is God doing? He's enjoying his work. Some of you, depression could be over like that if you just started to use your hands to create things and build things and look back on it and celebrate what you've done knowing that God has made it through you. The Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, a couple of archbishops ago, he said, look at the Bible. Creation, incarnation, resurrection. What do they all have in common? God with his hands in the dirt. There's nothing wrong with that. He says, verse 12, Back to First Thessalonians 4, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent. Walk properly before outsiders. Here's what some of you need to realize. Your witness as a Christian is at stake with how you do your job. People are watching you. And if you're the one always in the office gossip pool and you're the one running, I'm really gonna step on toes here, <laughs> but you're, you're running the fantasy football league At the office, more than you're doing your work at the office, and you're a Christian? Mm -mm. No, 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 no. That's not who we are. That's not holiness. We gotta be busy strong in the, in the efforts that God has given us. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets as Michelangelo painted or as Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven on earth and earth will pause and say, here live the great street sweeper who did his job well. Our testimony is at stake and this is holiness. This is holiness. It's it's not frills, it's not newsworthy, it's just simple living. Walking in purity before God, building my relationships with God's people. And here's here's the best part, write this down, the last thing I wanna share. Growing in Christ leads to living a good life. It really does. If you avoid sexual morality, you avoid alimony and child support. That's a good life. If you deepen your relationships with Christians, you have people who can pray with you, strengthen you, encourage you, and build you up in the faith. And if you work hard and mind your own business, I know it may not seem like it, I know it may not seem like it sometimes, but eventually people will notice, God will work on your behalf, you'll be promoted and make more money, and you'll provide abundantly for your family. Growing to be like Christ leads to a good life.